Mental health matters. With so much information about mental health and spiritual care out there, where do you start? Let's start here. A podcast hosted by licensed professionals with experience both as clients and as clinicians. On today's episode, we are jumping into what is anxiety. I'm Yolanda Rouse, and today we have Stephen Price and Catherine Saunders. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be a part of this wonderful life care family and to be able to just <laughs> to get to have these conversations is so fun. Yes, it is. I have to ask, does anybody have anxiety right now about this podcast? It's interesting as we were talking earlier, Yolandi, how I was intentional about using the word nervous, right? Mm -hmm. Because I don't, as we get into the definition of anxiety, we'll see that it is a very specific thing. And I think we use the word a little too loosely at times and it confuses people when it comes to whether or not they have quote unquote anxiety as a mental health problem, or if they have what we would commonly refer to as anxiety is just, I'm nervous about this, or I feel anxious, but maybe not a diagnosable thing. Yeah. Like the clinical definition versus just the feeling of being anxious or the feeling of being nervous. Definitely. I can see that. And I know that I definitely had my own imposter syndrome, anxious parts <laughs> about doing this in those ways. And definitely Having my logical, kind, compassionate self being like, of course, Catherine, you know what you're doing. You can talk about these things. You can speak on these things. But I'd be lying if I didn't say that there were some anxious imposter parts that were like, should you really be doing this? Do you really know enough to speak on these things? Well, welcome to the crowd, Catherine. <laughs> welcome <laughs> yeah, to the crowd. Exactly. Yeah. Steve and I were talking about that today slash just we have had the discussion of who am I to start a podcast or who am I to be a quote expert because even though we are clinicians who have gone through grad school and we definitely have experience there are just times where it's so overwhelming all of the diagnosis like all of the things we learn and so I have never really felt an quote expert on anything. So when we're talking about these things, I definitely am grateful. A, I'm not doing it alone, but B, just having, I like the compassion of that, just having compassion on ourselves to be like, we don't know everything. There's so much information out there, but this is our career and we do know what we're talking about. Yeah. I think maybe that's a good segue into what do the experts say anxiety yeah. is? Right. And when we look for definitions for things like that, one of the places we go is the American Psychological Association, and they define anxiety for the sake of the rest of this discussion as an emotion characterized by feelings of tension, worried thoughts, and physical changes like increased blood pressure. People with anxiety disorders usually have recurring intrusive thoughts or concerns. They may avoid certain situations out of worry. They may also have physical symptoms such as sweating, trembling, dizziness, or a rapid heartbeat. It's important to note that anxiety is not the same as fear, but they're often used interchangeably. I would argue that they're often used in relation to nervousness as well. Mm -hmm. Anxiety is considered a future-oriented, long 
acting response, broadly focused on a diffuse threat, whereas fear is an appropriate present-oriented and short-lived response to a clearly identifiable and specific threat. And yeah, we as experts don't often talk like that, but that's a pretty good definition and does distinguish quite clearly what anxiety is versus what a lot of us experience day to day. Yeah. And there's a lot there that we are going to unpack. Like what is intrusive thoughts? What is the difference between fear and anxiety? And then anxiety is actually in the DSM which is basically the DSM is what therapists use to diagnose clients. There's a lot under anxiety. And so we'll later in other episodes talk about what other diagnoses are under anxiety. But even starting off, like as a therapist, I often remember in my supervisions talking to Bill about, okay, I know what anxiety is. Like I can read the definition of anxiety and I can read the definition of depression So why am I still not grasping this? Like, why can I just not read this and really understand it or comprehend it? And I think it was really because there's an element or an aspect of, again, going back to compassion of really climbing in the boat with others to understand their experience, to really grasp what anxiety and depression is. And sometimes they can be happening at the same time. So I like that we're going to take some time to break this down and we're going to give some examples because for me, I didn't really understand it until I sat with a lot of my clients or got some personal experiences and then come to find out, oh, like I've experienced this before. This is what this is. So sometimes definitions are helpful, but sometimes experiences really just take it to the next level of understanding. So fun fact, I actually got these examples off of Reddit. Good old Reddit. But I just, I was reading these and I was like, wow, this is a really good description. People were doing a really good job describing it. Here is one example. It's like in a video game where there's ominous music playing because you are about to run into a boss or something bad is happening, except there is no boss, there is no threat, yet the ominous music keeps playing. I um, remember having somebody describe it to me where if you saw a bear in the woods, like you would have this primal instinct to do something to get yourself to safety. But anxiety is there's bears popping up all of the time, yet there's really not a bear. There's really not that threat. And I think that's getting into, we will later get into the definition or the difference between fear and anxiety. But I think that example is really good because it's this feeling that something really bad is going to happen. Mm. Yet, logically, there is really no explanation for it. Yeah. I've been, when I have clients who are struggling to understand their own feelings or when they're having anxious symptoms and they are experiencing the threat, but they can't discern between an actual threat and not a threat. As the fire alarm in my office going off, but that I have an email that tells me that they're testing, 
but they don't know that they're testing. So for them, there might actually be a fire. So it's like the fire alarm going off and believing that there's a fire, but there isn't. There's no fire. It's okay. So being able to discern between, nope, this is just a test versus no, we really need to exit the building right now. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's talking about, I think you just touched on intrusive thoughts, which we can explain that, like the intrusive thought of a fire alarm going off, but then immediately a thought that says there's a fire, get out of the building, where we don't know that there's a fire in the building, but that thought, that's, I guess that's more automatic thought. There's just this automatic thought where intrusive thoughts are, are more, could be more reoccurring that if I don't do this thing, then this bad thing is going to happen. If I go mm. to this party or if I don't wash my hands and this is getting into the different segments of anxiety and we'll definitely come back to that. But how would you guys have the difference between maybe an automatic thought and an intrusive thought. I feel like an automatic thought definitely can also be an intrusive thought, but I For definitely sure. identify mm -hmm. that difference there. Automatic thoughts are the things that come up, whatever information, stimuli we're taking in automatically. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to sit there and worry about it and ruminate on it to sit there and come up with these things. They just happen spontaneously. Our brains are just making that connection in split seconds, milliseconds in those ways. And I think what would make a automatic thought more of an intrusive thought is what you were talking about, Yolandi, with the patterns and the repetitives and really having it be around a specific fear in that way. Is intrusive thoughts as a category could be catastrophizing and mm -hmm. intrusive thought of just always fearing the worst is going to happen no matter what that is. And so you could argue that in that fire example, that, that there is a fire could be an intrusive thought if that person really struggles with always catastrophizing in those mm -hmm. ways, no matter what the situation is. And so automatic thoughts happen to us all day, every day. And I think the distinction there, too, is that automatic thoughts aren't something that's really necessarily problematic. They can be. But they don't have to be. We have automatic thoughts about having to wait in line at the grocery store. And it doesn't yeah. matter. There's no real impact. That's where you get into those differences of just regular automatic thoughts. Whereas typically when we're talking about intrusive thoughts, it's going to be something that's really problematic and is getting in the way and is bothering us. Yeah, there's this is the definition that I found. But intrusive thoughts are unwanted thoughts, images impulses or urges that can occur spontaneously or that can be cued by an external stimuli. And I was actually just talking to a friend of mine who talked about when she first became a mom, she constantly had this thought that when she would put her baby down in the crib or at night, is my baby, my, is my baby breathing? And so she constantly had this intrusive thought of, and it, that's terrifying to be like, is my baby dead? Is my baby okay? And she said she really struggled with that for months until she learned what intrusive thoughts that ended up becoming this habit. So she would check the baby. It's like, the only time that thought would stop would be is if she checked the baby and to make sure that the baby was still alive. And that's what I think about that disturbing or unwanted thought. And sometimes 
that image of finding her baby not breathing and how scary that can be. So that's what pops up into my head when I think about that. It's interesting that almost crosses over into OCD, right? Or obsessive compulsive disorder, which is one of the anxieties that we'll talk about more later. What were some of the other examples that you had, Yolandi, that you wanted to maybe mention? Life care is growing, and we're excited because that means that we can bring on more clients. So if you or someone you know is looking for a therapist or a prescriber for individual, marriage and family, and or medication, consider checking out one of our locations online at lifecarecc.com. We are happily serving the cities of Raleigh, Briar Creek, Holly Springs, Chapel Hill, Wake Forest, Thomasville, and Wilmington in North Carolina and Abington, Virginia. Once again, that's lifecarecc.com. So the next one is social anxiety, and social anxiety is also obviously a branch of Anxiety. Social anxiety will make you do weird things, such as holding onto an apple core for 45 minutes during a meeting because you're too anxious to go to the trash can that's 10 feet away, or waiting for someone else to throw out their apple core first so you know it's okay. But waiting a few minutes after they do so, you don't look like you were waiting for that. And trying not to stumble because you know everyone is watching you walk and then feeling really proud and relieved that you arrived back at your seat after having successfully thrown away an apple core like it was a difficult task. Yeah, I've also, I think social anxiety falls into another, how it evolves from that is then going back after the meeting and ruminating on the idea of, did I do it wrong? Were people watching? What did they think? What could I have done differently or said differently? Or was it right to throw away my apple core kind of thing? And we do see a lot of this going on in general, but again, anxiety as a diagnosis for these particular things at the end of the day come down to how disturbing are they? Do they impact you to the extent that you can't participate? Does it, is it so distressing that it has an impact or keeps you from participating in some part of your normal day-to-day life and social anxiety and being able to throw away an apple like that on the one hand, right? Seems like a simple task. If somebody has a diagnosis of that, then it becomes increasingly challenging to do those simple things. And like even reading it as a therapist, I'm looking for what we call cognitive distortions and Mm -hmm. cognitive distortions. There's a list out there and I'm, I'll mention a couple here, but even reading it where it said, assuming that assumption that everyone is staring at you or that everyone is judging you. That's what we call like personalization of Mm. a situation. Just, and a lot of social anxiety, a lot of my clients with social anxiety do this. They will assume that everyone is staring them, but further than that, not just staring at them, but judging them and further than just judging, criticizing. And I talk often in my therapy office of, we all judge and it's not a negative thing. The negative thing is the criticizing, like bringing a layer of good, bad, wrong, where shaming, shaming people, where judging is, could be 
a survival technique of, okay, there's a bear. I need to do X, Y, or Z in order to survive it. You're judging the situation. You're trying to problem solve, but there's this extra layer of personalization of I'm bad and what I do here matters because I'll be criticized for it. So reading that, I definitely see some of those cognitive distortions that we don't even really realize we're automatically doing. Are there any other cognitive distortions that kind of come to your to the top of y'all's brain? I think, Catherine, you said catastrophizing. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so catastrophizing is really just assuming the worst case scenario every time. So like in the fire alarm example, there is a fire. I, my, if you have stress about driving, I will get into a car crash. I will die. Or maybe my two children are getting into a car together and I'm going to lose both <laughs> my kids. All sorts of things, but just that worst case scenario thinking that most of the time, is at least not statistically likely in those ways. But what's hard about it is sometimes there is truth to those statements, right? There are fears for parents when their teenage kids get into a car together. What if they did get into a car accident together and they lost both of their children? That would obviously be horrific and traumatizing and awful. So there are these like real world things. And so it's not that they're these made up things. They're real things that can happen, but statistically aren't likely. You could look at fear of flying in the same way of assuming, oh, I'm going to get in a plane, it's going to crash, right? When we all know that statistically, that's very unlikely. That's good. I think another, most of the cognitive behavioral worksheets that we see, and Catherine, you did a really good job of putting one together that I've shared with a lot of my clients there's a classic work example that's on all of the sample worksheets almost. It feels like and it's, oh, I made a mistake. I'm going to get fired. And so people with anxieties can get to that point, that catastrophizing, oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired. That's the worst thing possible. But what I think as counselors, at least I know I've tended to try and help people while there is the cognitive behavior process of why is that coming up for you and what is the thought process behind that? Is there evidence to suggest that, et cetera, et cetera? I think I tend to also help them go beyond that. Okay. What if you do get fired? What then? So they stop at the worst possible point. My children could get into an accident. Okay. What happens then? What's next? And obviously that's a very different example than the work one, but I do think that with that type of cognitive distortion is that it just, it stops at the worst possible time and doesn't allow for the possibility that the sun will come up tomorrow, right? Is that there is another day and how do we move on from this worst possible event happening if it were to happen? And I think that kind of speaks to the anxiety can put you in this box of a fixed mindset. And it just stops there and it really feels like a living hell because in your mind, it's not going to get better. But gross mindset challenges that. And I like that you bring that up because we do as therapists say, okay, like what if that then if that happened, like what are you going to do? Like what if that does happen? And really pushing them to not to stay in that dark place and pushing them 
to problem solve and work work through it. Yes, if something bad happened where you're, somebody got in an accident and you lost that person, that would be devastating. We're not saying it's not devastating. Like it would right. be absolutely devastating. However, then what? Like how would you proceed? How would you be able to process that? And that's kind of part of the work too is, well, I don't know. I don't know if I would be, but humans are way more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. And that's a really good point of that's part of our job is to help them yes. through that. So that kind of goes also to another one of mental filtering where you're now only looking at the negatives. If we can say, what if this bad thing happens and create this reality, this false reality or this theoretical situation, then you can always go to the other side. Well, what if your kids get in this car and make it to the football game and have a ton of fun and make really good connections and come home safely and go to bed? There's always another side to it. It's not just always this negative option. There's mental filtering. There's polarized thinking, which is just all or nothing, black or white. I don't know about you guys, but I saw a lot of polarization during the elections of this one side is right and this one side is wrong. And a lot of that damaged relationships. I saw a lot of that. I don't know about you guys. Any other ones that are coming to y'all's brain? Yeah, mind reading is a big one. Assuming you know what another person is going to do or say, that can be really challenging. I think on the one hand, it, when you combine it with some of the other things that we've shared, if you do that type of assumption, but you also tend towards the negative and you are someone who catastrophizes, then you may not want to enter into a conversation with somebody because you already know how it's going to go. So why even bother? Why give them the chance to reply? Because it's not going to go well anyway. And I think helping people get curious, right? Moving away from their assumptions. Again, if, you know, when the black and white thinking, there's the assumption that, you know, oh, bad things are going to happen. It's either, it's, it, there's only two options. And I think that with the mind reading part that we tend the same way is uh, this, it's black or white. There's, it's either going to go badly or I'm not going to do it at all. So there's no in-between and helping people learn that if you're going to speculate, at least give yourself the option of the countless possibilities, not just the one that you tend towards. So I think that these things, again, as they affect people's anxiety, they're not limited to people that have anxiety, but that certainly they come up a lot for folks that are dealing with the different types of anxieties. So what do we do with them? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to move on to just a, a couple more examples and then we will get to some what's the difference between anxiety and fear. But another example is waking up at 4 a.m. every day because you didn't answer all of your emails, but then opening your inbox and not wanting to open any emails for fear of them being bad news. Oh, gosh, I definitely struggled with this when I worked in the public school system and it created this really bad anxious habit of becoming a workaholic and 
always checking my emails, yet at the same time, not wanting to because I know I had not done everything that I, quote, needed or should. That's another cognitive distortions, the shoulds have done. But the truth of it was, is in public school or nonprofit, there was always something that could have been done. There's always something on my to-do list. And so it didn't feel safe to stop or proceed. It's like this gas pedal and the brake at the same time and not knowing which one to press for fear of something bad happening in both of them. Anyone relate to that? It's just you, Yolandi. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, the next one was, for me, I just can't stop thinking of all the possible conversations I could have and the responses or all the conversations I have had that I could have given better response. Moments were playing over and over in my head of anxious situations, wondering if the path I I chose was wrong, how to make it better, can I make it better? Uh, that's another example, right, of, of social anxiety. And again, even in that, probably while it wasn't stated in that example, there probably are cognitive distortions taking place in that. I do want to take a minute as we're coming near the end mm-hmm. of this episode to mention that the types of anxieties that we will be talking about in future episodes, or at least a few of them that we'll be talking about. But There are several different anxiety disorders that are distinct. One is generalized anxiety disorder. There's separation anxiety, social anxiety, panic, phobias, obsessive compulsive disorders, and post-traumatic stress disorders. In our next episode, we'll be talking about OCD specifically. And so hopefully you guys will be able to join us when we do. Yeah, thanks for joining us and see you next time. Thanks for listening to Let's Start Here, a podcast by Life Care Counseling and Coaching. At Life Care Counseling and Coaching, we are passionate about serving others by integrating the best mental health practices and spiritual care for the soul. Find out more or schedule an appointment at lifecarecc.com. Follow us on Facebook at Life Care Counseling or Instagram at Life Care Counsel Coach. If you found the information in this podcast helpful, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, as this helps more people find our show. This show is produced at Podcast Carry.